0: Well, welcome everybody. Thanks for joining me on this video. This is the first installment of sort of the second major question that I'm trying to ask for people. And that is, how am I doing? The first question we looked at was, what happened? And a lot of you had not heard my story as to what happened. And so we ended up doing Three originally, but then we broke into four videos on what happened. And I talked about insomnia. I talked about Xanax and alcohol. Then I talked about ministry burnout. And I talked about marriage. And kind of brought you up to the point where 2019 was a year of loss. It was a dark, dark year. I've got some blogs that deal with what I went through emotionally and trying to unpack that through some of the blogs that I'm writing, but I I would say the biggest question that most everybody has asked me is how am I doing? And they're they're talking about right now. And even when I went on social media and, and just started trying to get familiar with the social media world, that was easily the number one question that people direct messaged me on was how am I doing, or I hope you're doing well, praying for you and all those kind of things. So truly appreciate that, greatly appreciate it. And just wanted to give you an update on that. So in July of 2019, I actually sold the house that my wife and I had, had built and we had lived in that house for over a decade and sold that. And my divorce was finalized at the end of July, 2019 as well. So I was moving out of that house and the divorce was finalized. And really it was just a, it was just a difficult time. It was a dark time. And I kind of collected myself, um, after I got back from a trip to uh, a trip to Colorado that I went on and then really just decided, like, I need to get myself in a consistent kind of recovery. I'd gotten back from rehab back in in the end of February, early March of 2019. And I had kind of gotten involved with a couple of groups, but I wasn't real, real consistent with it. And I was going through so much stuff with um, the house, the sale, lawyer, divorce, all that kind of stuff. And really after all of that got over and I was, you know, I found a place to move into, that kind of thing. Then I was, I was like, man, what am I going to do? And, and I was wrestling with all kinds of issues about it loss and meltdown and then and then actually trying to figure out how to move forward and so I really decided to commit myself to recovery in a very dark dark place um, I I just kind of gave up and I, I really did surrender and I decided to like really commit myself wholeheartedly hundred percent to my my own journey of recovery and kind of thing so Uh, When I talk about recovery, I'm talking about recovery from addiction in particular. That's, that's how I'm using the return, the the term recovery, recovery from addiction. And when I think about addiction, I think about two types of addiction. One would be a substance addiction. And most commonly we're thinking about alcohol or thinking about drugs. And even food to a large extent can be a big, big substance addiction, overeating or you know, binging, purging, those kinds of destructive eating habits. And then the second type of addiction that I think about are behavioral addictions. There are a lot of behavioral addictions in our world. In fact, you could take almost any activity that people do on the planet. And it's probably a good thing and you could do it in a healthy way, but taken to an extreme, it can become unhealthy. So you can take exercise and actually over exercise can become an addiction. You can take your mental thought processes and, and you can get to where behaviors become obsessive and compulsive. Any kind of behavior cleaning can become an obsessive compulsive addiction. Uh, you could get addicted to gaming, you could get addicted to shopping, you could did, get addicted to gambling, you could get addicted to social media. I mean there are all kinds of addictions that are behavioral. You could get addicted to sex or whatever. And and all of these behaviors may not be wrong in and of themselves. In fact, many of them may be good gifts, but if you take them to excess, then you're into an addiction. And then you know something has power over you when you tell yourself or promise yourself that you'll quit. And then you just find yourself going back to it again and again and again and again. And I know people who are facing addictions who have tried for years to control their addiction, tried for years to manage it themselves, but invariably they go back to it again and again and again and again. And one of the things that's a sign that it's an addiction... Uh, that you're abusing a healthy gift would be that it, it begins to tear apart all of your relationships. So addictions, even if it's a good thing, if you take it to an extreme, all of a sudden your behavior is tearing apart your relationship to God. It's tearing apart your relationship with yourself. It's tearing apart your relationship to your spouse or to your partner, or to your kids or to your closest friends. Or to your work, your coworkers, that kind of thing. And so that's where behavioral addictions cross into unhealthy things, even if they might be in and of themselves a good behavior. So that's kind of what I think of when I think of recovery. So recovery begins really when you get honest with yourself. And I, I think brutal honesty is the key point and the foundation for all recovery. And so I just had to look at myself and say, "Hey, uh, first of all, Xanax. I, I didn't. After I got out of rehab, I found a different psychiatrist and got off Xanax. I got off all sleep issues that were uh, narcotic in nature, uh, unhealthy kinds of things in nature. But that insomnia thing was still an issue for me, and I had to find some some help in my in the non-narcotic field of, of a sleep aid. And then the second big thing for me was to just eliminate alcohol from my life. That was important because I'd let that get out of hand. I'd, i begun to drink abusively. And so, and so I really wanted some support. I, I have always kind of believed in community, the importance of community. And I think that you have to build community even around your brokenness or around your addictions. And so recovery is, is a community thing. We do it together. When you find uh, a group of people that are wrestling with the same kind of addiction that you're wrestling with and people are being really honest about that, you'd be amazed at how many thought patterns and behavior patterns are that you have in common with those people who are wrestling with that same kind of addiction. The other thing that I think you learn when you're in recovery is that people who are in recovery, together, know when each other are telling the truth, or when they're kind of BSing, or when they're just you know not being honest. It's really easy when you get in this world and once you've lived in it for a while to identify times when people just aren't being honest or aren't ready to be honest or that kind of things. So, but you know, take like the AA world, alcoholics talking to alcoholics. That's one of the best resources available for recovery, um, but that would be true in every area, gambling addicts talking to gambling addicts, and sex addicts talking to sex addicts, and, and shopping addicts talking to shopping addicts, and food addicts talking to food addicts, and, and when they're ready to be brutally honest, when they're ready to acknowledge that they uh, don't have control over their addictive behavior, they have to realize that they're powerless over that addiction. And their life has become unmanageable because of that addiction, and they're ready to be brutally honest with that, then they're ready for recovery. And those are re- that's really the first step for recovery is honesty. I call it brutal honesty. There has to be at least a couple of people, and you got to be wise about who you select, but there needs to be a couple of people who really know what's going on in your life. Hiding and keeping secrets and trying to just manage it and control it yourself just doesn't work. So... I had to make that decision with the issue of alcohol and and get in some groups and get really honest about that. Now, let me just say this: when you deal with substance addictions, and I think I think there would be parts of this that would be true as it relates to uh, behavioral addictions, but when it comes to substance addictions, let's take alcohol and drugs, and we have like AA and NA world. We've we've done lots of research and lots of study on what goes into recovery. It's interesting. AA is 85 years old as of 2020. So July, 2020 would have been an international convention in Detroit to celebrate the 85 year mark of the beginning of AA, which started in 1935. And so when we deal with alcohol and drugs, one of the things we realize is that one of the best resources in the world today for recovering from alcoholics and alcohol and drugs would be AA or NA, those are 12 step programs. And in fact, if people do AA correctly, and I'll mention what that looks like here in just a moment, but when people do AA correctly, they will have about a 50 to 55% chance of recovering. And that doesn't mean that they won't have relapses along the way, but if they stick with it and do it right, they have about a 50, 55% chance of recovery. Then the second thing that they found that really helps, in addition to the 12 step program, is therapy. If you pick a good therapist who understands the issues of addiction and recovery, then if you add therapy to a 12 step group, that gives you another 10 to 15% of people who have a chance of recovery. So just with 12-step alone and therapy alone, you're pushing yourself into that 60 to 70% chance of recovery. The third thing that can help with substance addictions is some type of medication maybe that helps uh, there, there are some medications out there that if you drink or use, you get sick. There's some medications out there that curb addictions. But if you couple medication with monitoring, so let's say you set yourself up on a, on a type of medication and then you have to do some type of breath test or urine test or something like that and report it to an individual so that you know if you use, it's going to be found out on, in monitoring that kind of accountability can add even another layer of success and add another, say 10% success factor. So with 12 step groups, with therapy and with, with, uh, medication monitoring, you can push up into the 80% success ratio of recovery. So I think that's important to think about as you think about recovery. And while some of you might not use all of those steps, I think everybody can start with a support group of some sort. So if you think about it, we've got AA and NA for drugs and alcohol, but there's an Overeaters Anonymous that uses 12 steps for food addictions, and then there's all kinds of 12-step groups for behavioral addictions like sex, a- SA, Sex Addicts Anonymous, or you can go to a Gambling Anonymous or you can go to, gosh, just about any kind of a, any kind of behavior that you think of that people get addicted to, there's probably an AA group. So you could literally just get online, Google 12-step groups in Kansas City, if you're in Kansas City or whatever city you're in, get online, Google it, Google it in your city. and You'd probably be surprised that, that there's a support group that deals with your addiction somewhere in that city. And so that's a great place to start. And when I mentioned earlier that how you do your group support is a critical part of it. So some people will just pop in, not really commit to the group, not really get to know anybody in the group, not really attend regularly in the group. So let's say you say, okay, I'm going to go to a 12-step group for recovery. And let's say you just go sporadically. You just pop in once a month or twice a month or every other month or something like that. And you come and you go and you don't really build any relationships in the group. That's not what I'm talking about. That's that, that won't work. That won't get you to that 50, 55% success rate in recovery with the 12 step model. That's the wrong way to do the 12 step. group. What we're talking about is committing to the group, committing to brutal honesty, going to that group being brutally honest with the people in that group about your addiction and you attend the group regularly. That is that you're going perhaps several times a week. I know in the AA group, um, many times we'll talk about 90 and 90. So a lot of times to get you off to the right start groups will talk about going to 90 meetings in 90 days. So you're literally going to a meeting every day for 90 straight days, but there's research around addiction, recovery, if you break that cycle, uh, for that amount of time, then you'll set new patterns, new habits and new behaviors that will give you a big, big chance of recovery if you do that 90 and 90, but you're going to that group and you don't just pop in and pop out and not get to know anybody, but you're actually being honest when it comes around to you, you share. You also get there a little early, get to know people. You stay a little late, you get to know people and the next thing you're doing, you're building friendships and relationships with people that have the same addiction as you, that addict talking to addict is powerful. in fact, they've proven that that kind of group support when you're being brutally honest is more important than even your therapist really, to be honest with you, that kind of addict to addict relationship, friendship, and if you commit to it, you're going to build friendships that are lifelong friendships. I really believe that. And now all of a sudden you're not going because you're embarrassed or ashamed or you have to or you're drug appointed or court appointed or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. But now you're doing it because you have friends there. You want to go there. You miss it if you don't go there. And so you're building, you have it, you're going to meetings, you're attending several meetings a week is a key. You're building friendships and that's a key. And then you keep going even after you feel like you've beat it. Let's say you get 90 days, six months, nine months, a year under your belt. And you've been sober for that long and you've abstained from that addiction. There's a thinking component that's important to remind yourself of. So they'll talk about you going to meetings really for the rest of your life. Because think about this recovery is a lifestyle and recovery is a lifelong process. So in a certain way, you're always in recovery because recovery is a lifestyle. The 12 steps are a lifestyle and all 12 steps are really rooted in the Bible. But, um, because so many people come to AA or NA and they're agnostic or atheist, they just talk about a higher power, but spirituality is a critical component to recovery. And I'll be talking more about that later in a podcast series that I'll be doing. So. So recovery is important. So I committed myself to several different types of groups. I went to a therapy group um, and I went to um, some groups that are in the city that that are 12-step in in orientation and really just started working it from that group angle. I also found uh, two different therapists that I really, really like and I'm going to talk about more of that in my next video. And I would just say that uh, for over a year now, I've really been in and cemented into the recovery community in the Kansas City area. I've built lots of friendships in the recovery community over the last year. And those friendships um, have been wonderful. They've been supportive and they've been incredibly healing. And it helps you get out of your own embarrassment, and your own shame, your own your own powerlessness and really get you on a, on a track to recover and to live life as, as I think God intended us to live. So the path to recovery is a great path. And if you're in need of that, let me just encourage you. You can, you're welcome to reach out to me. Uh, You can reach me through any of the social media platforms and direct message me. I I pretty much friend anybody who wants to be friended in that world, but you can also uh, Google and, and reach out to support groups that you can find in the city as well. And so I'd love to be praying for you, helping you, encouraging you. If you have friends, neighbors, relatives, co-workers, family members, you know, that need recovery, um, you, you can't work anybody's program. They have to be ready for it. They have to kind of hit bottom and make their own decisions. Nobody can work a program for somebody else. But we can always encourage, we can always uh, let people know that there are resources available. And then the big thing is that the people that are already committed to those groups, once somebody reaches out the hand of AA or the hand of any 12 step group or the hand of a support group is there for that person. And so it's, it's always good to care for those that we love and pray for them and, and at least help resource them if they're ready. For that but no nobody can work somebody else's prayer nobody can tell them that they need it that will typically work but when people are ready uh when they've hit bottom enough typically uh, they can find help and there's lots of help out there and i encourage you to do that so thanks for tuning in that's just a little bit of how i'm doing uh, on the road of recovery and if, if you need that road as well i hope you find it and god bless you and take care we'll see you next time